0: What's up, everybody? This is the Pre-Professional Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Kraft, with host Colton watching and we are back in the original studio with the new equipment today for episode number 15. Today, we're going to kind of talk about programming, um, not anything like super in-depth, super specific, but definitely um, how we would program. Colton being a professional now, having a CSCS, having his own clients. I hate I hate when you call me a professional. You are a professional. I
1: hate when you call me a
0: professional. But having his own clients, um, how he programs for them, his kind of methodology, how I would do it even though I'm not a professional, being able to program for myself, having people that I programmed for for free just because they wanted to and um, just some things that we've learned through other people that they've said is good for programming. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then we'll kind of... Talk a little bit about um, some resources that we use for understanding what we do, figuring out what we do, and how we apply and kind of how we measure success within programming. so and Colton, welcome back to the podcast. Thank
1: you. I feel bad for missing last week, but I got called into work, so I had to had to, had to do my uh, response, uh, responsibilities correctly. Yeah,
0: which are absolutely terrible responsibilities. Yep. Nobody should do them.
1: what What responsibilities are you talking about? Work, work. Not not CrossFit. No, I don't. Oh, like I thought you were dogging CrossFit. No, I kind of
0: like CrossFit now. I'm not gonna lie. I've been watching some stuff. I like Craig Ritchie a lot. Okay, okay. he does some CrossFit stuff. Yeah, so he's cool. Um, but I mean, I guess let's just get into it. So, programming. I mean, it's so broad. It's uh, there's a million podcasts. Any fitness person is gonna talk about programming. What you see on Instagram isn't probably great programming. It's um, the
1: the uh, sumo ball. Bench with one leg elevated, suitcase, blah, whatever you can find. Yeah,
0: but we don't, we don't talk about him on this podcast. You know who we're talking about? We're talking about Joel. Oh yes. Yeah, we don't talk about. It's Joel been a on this while podcast. since. Uh, yeah, well, I felt bad about trashing him, and like, obviously, I don't have the credibility that he has, so I probably should, should not say that kind of stuff about him. I was well. That's the thing too. Is it's like it's
1: more than just him. Like I'll look and I'll see an NFL player on a Bosu ball single-legged with chains around his neck on a bandit, like on a band, and it's like, why? Like, why? Why are we doing this? And it's very famous NFL players, NBA players, and it's like, this isn't helping.
0: Well, I feel like it's like a kind of a complexity thing. Like, you get to this high level, and you feel almost as if you have to do things differently than other people, which in reality probably isn't true. I mean, if we go back to the Wadley podcast, He talks about how all of his programs are 80% the same, and he just, like, varies it based on athlete and whatnot, which I think is a good idea, but I also disagree with because not a lot of every... I mean, we talked about the idea of sport transferability, which I don't uh, believe that every one of, like, the big three left is necessarily sport transferable. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um... A question that kind of crossed my mind when
1: we were talking about this was, I wonder how many, like NBA, NFL, MLB, whatever, you, how many of those guys actually do those same workouts if they're not going to post it? Like, how many times do they do those super hard, laborious workouts behind the scenes and they don't want to get likes on Instagram or Twitter or things like that?
0: I mean, I don't know. I feel like I don't see a lot of, like, NFL pay... NFL players, NBA players, other than like LeBron James or what's that dude from the Steelers, the guy that didn't play, he's older, James Harrison, or something like that. Okay. No, I, I've seen Derrick
1: Henry do some of that stuff. Um, yeah, J- I, I don't know if James Harrison, but one of them is jumping out of a pool at like six feet or four feet yeah. or something. which isn't necessary. I mean, like. No, that's insane. Like, that's impressive. It I'm is I'm not impressive. saying that's necessarily bad. That's one of those where it's kind of eye-opening. It's like, holy crap, the power production that that, that guy possesses
0: is insane. And especially to be able to move that kind of body mass. I mean, I can't think of any NFL player that's under two hundred pounds. <laughs> Rodrigo Blankenship from the Colts. Yeah, well, maybe he's under two hundred pounds. Oh, easy. How tall is he? I
1: don't know, but he's a he's a kicker.
0: Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, like, I'm pulling it. Up. I feel like I have the stature of a kicker.
1: You know, have you have you seen a picture of Rodrigo? Have you seen the picture of Rodrigo Blankenship next to uh, DK Metcalf? Yeah, he's
0: the guy that does the
1: Legos, right? He likes his Legos. He does. He's yeah, a stud. He's got the rec specs and everything. What a dog. But
0: well, I feel like this is kind of a, a good conversation to tie in with complexity. Start one eighty four, six foot one. Wow, that's a skinny man. Yeah, very skinny. That's a t- that's a tiny dude. But I mean, he's a kicker, so I guess who, who really cares? All of his weights in his legs. Yeah. But yeah, let's talk about. I mean, I feel like we brought up complexity there at the very beginning, so I, I feel like we should kind of like ride the coattails of that and take it into programming. I mean, overcomplicating exercise is terrible, right? And so this is where it comes into, like, different methods of training. Like, if you're going into powerlifting, a huge method of training that you're going to learn about is conjugate. Right? And, like, is conjugate really beneficial? Like, essentially what it is is just doing different variation of your main lift for certain reps, sets, with chains, with bands, in order to create some sort of extra maximal tension without actually having to do the correct, like the, the exact movement. And apparently that's supposed to get you stronger. I guess people have had a lot of good work with it.
1: Um, Trevor Kim, a guy we're going to have on the podcast in, what, two or three weeks? Like he posted something on a story. I don't know if you read it or not, but said basically like a lot of uh, athletes after their meet, they leave their coach because they're doing the same boring stuff over and over and over again. It's like, well, 95% of every good coach... Is doing the exact same things. Mm-hmm. It's like the boring work that works. It's none of these super, oh, I'm going to go into the gym today, and it's going to be fun because I'm doing something I've never done before. It's like, no, it's monotonous training that you do over and over and over again, and that's how you become the best.
0: And that I actually liked that you said that because I was going to bring that up too because I saw that on his Instagram story, and he was talking about like coming off of meets and everyone having these odd complexes because he – he competes really um, high class weightlifting. He competes I wanna say I wanna say it's one oh two kilos. But um, he posted something he's ranked in the world and he's an absolute dog, but he talked about training and whatnot and it, the, one of the specific things that he said, he said ten years of monotonous training is what build champions and I thought that was super sweet. I mean Like, there's so many different... Obviously, there's so many different variations. And in terms of bodybuilding, maybe variations work, right? But in terms of, like, sports... Like, specific, Yeah. If we're talking, like, Olympic weightlifting or powerlifting, like, when your movement pattern needs to stay the same, I don't know if there's necessarily a place to have so much variation because not only are you changing up the variation and, like, making it so you're not doing that movement but you're also taking time away from the movement specificity right so the more you do the movement the better you're going to get at the movement it's just kind of how the body works right i mean the more free throws you do the more free throws you're going to make
1: well that kind of comes back to the whole idea of practice makes perfect and it's like no not necessarily practice makes permanent not necessarily perfect because you can snatch 100 times a day but if you have bad form you're going to reinforce those bad movement mm-hmm. patterns that you have
0: and obviously coming with that it has you have to have an understanding of what you're doing and what you're doing right or what you're doing wrong.
1: Yeah, and that's where it's tough because, like, especially with li- Olympic lifting where there's h- dozens of things you have to focus on at a time. Not focus on, but, like, there's dozens of things you have to check off your list of, oh, I did this correct. Oh, I did that correct. Oh, I did this correct. Mm-hmm. And it's—and that's even just starting with the pull. Yep. Let alone the catch and then standing up with it.
0: It's actually crazy. After recently getting into Olympic lifting, there's just so much technical stuff that is in play. I mean, coming from powerlifting, obviously technique was a big thing, but there are so many variables in Olympic weightlifting that you have to watch out for. I was doing like power snatches today, like block power snatches. And it was, it was so terrible videoing myself because I'm still trying to figure it all out and get super concise and I'm throwing the bar out and my bar path's not straight. I'm not getting under it right. And obviously I have a problem with overextension. And so it's just, terrible and I'm going to hurt myself. Right. So obviously having an understanding of what that is, is huge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we
1: kind of dive into the whole programming. We've kind of beat around the bush a little bit with yeah. it, but like the whole complexity with programming is, I think a lot of people get into the trap, the trap of, Oh, like I did this last week. Oh, I have to, ch- I have to change it up completely next week or I have to, I did this training program for two weeks. Okay. Now I have to do something completely different cause I don't want to get bored of it. Um, and that's boredom is something that's very real because there were times I was training when I played soccer here at Grace and our the strength coach Nate Wadley he would program workouts for us and I was like man this is my third week doing the same program but it's like we're seeing results from it we're getting stronger we're getting faster we're able to jump higher and it's, so that's where it's kind of tricky as someone who programs for others where it's like how do I how do I program monotonous workouts but make it so my clients aren't bored yeah. or make it so that they're still interested in wanting to do the work that I do. And it's like, I'll give an example of uh, one of the people that I um, program for. Okay. I, I had him do this one cycle. It was the exact same four workouts for three weeks. And yeah, it might seem boring, but like if you see what he looks like now compared to what he looks like a month or two ago, completely different. And that's where it's like, again, the monotonous training over time gets results and i don't what are your whole thoughts with like the whole oh you can't do the same workouts over and over again because your body just gets used to it and you have to surprise the muscle and you have to
0: shock it so it's actually funny because i i feel like i see like videos of people shocking the muscle and doing some super insane stuff as like a joke which is funny and i don't and i don't think that um over and over work is necessarily bad and now i do i think there needs to be some sort of variability yeah like in terms of accessories i think you should have some sort of variability yeah. sometimes right but in every situation there's nothing you should do that shouldn't progress right so say you programmed i don't know a push day and then say you're a power lifter your goal is to increase your bench Right? So you're going to go and you're going to bench press and you're going to do whatever you have a problem. Maybe you have a problem getting it off the chest. So you're going to do one and a half reps and you're going to go three by three at 80%, right? And that's what you're going to do for your main compound lift. And then you're going to go into an accessory lift, probably around four by eight that you think is going to help. Maybe it's dumbbell bench. Maybe it's incline dumbbell bench, right? And then you're going to go to flies and you're going to do some triceps. Obviously, there's minimal effective dose and you shouldn't do too much, but you also shouldn't do too little. But the thing is, so a lot of people, I feel like, look at these, like, minimal effective dose workouts where it's, like, only three exercises hitting the chest and then going on to triceps and, like, well, there's not enough work there to hurt hurt my chest or tear the fibers or what people want, you know what I'm saying? Like, to get that, that fatigue that you want. Yeah. And, I mean, maybe there isn't if you don't have any concept of progression and progressive overload and understanding how to increase weight and when to increase weight like I I always try to give myself rep ranges like it's never like four sets of 10 it's like four sets of 8 to 12 or four sets of 12 to 15 like when I'm especially when I'm doing hypertrophy because my goal obviously is to get 12 but ultimately my goal is to potentially fail or have one rep in reserve within that 8 to 12 rep range so I think that's one thing that like when people don't see growth, it's because they have a problem with that progressive overload, that concept of pushing a little bit harder.
1: Or, I mean, they have they kind of take progressive overload to the max where it's like, oh, I'm going to go in and try to max out every single week because that's what I have to do. And it's like, no, that's not necessarily the case either. Like, you have to give yourself the ability to hit the reps that you want. Okay, so, like, for example, you know, like, 10, 8 to 12-ish around there is hypertrophy. Anything past 12 15 is endurance where it's like okay which it's
0: not speci- like it's not specific yeah okay. right it's so you can get around. like hypertrophic results you can, you can get muscle hypertrophy from one to three reps three to five reps but ideally
1: yeah that's because w- where it's like okay you're going to be most effective at gaining strength through one to three reps one to five reps hypertrophy six to eight to twelve reps endurance anything after that type of deal but it's like you also have to be smart enough to realize that, oh, I can't max out every single day or I can't max out every single week for the same movements because mm-hmm. I'm not giving my body enough time to recover. Mm-hmm. And that's where sometimes, like for me, trial and error, going in, seeing if this works, if it doesn't, doing something else, seeing if that works. Great. Mark it, put it on my sheet, put it in my head, make sure I do that for next time type of thing. Um, So, like when, so when I program for other people, I like to use RPE just because – I don't know how they're going to feel. Like, especially if I'm not doing personal training, I'm just writing their programming. I, I like to use an RPE just because, you know, A, I'm not coaching these top athletes who are training and going to compete. I'm training, you know, everyday people who want to get better. So it's like, okay, so do, I usually have bench percentages just so that they can work off something. But like for accessories, I'm like okay, do your dumbbell press at, eight RPE for three by six. And then you're going to superset that with something. And it's like, you know, if someone comes in and, like the client, let's just say, for example, their kid kept them up all night. They weren't able to get the right nutrition during uh, the day. Work was super stressful. They're not going to come in and be like, oh, yeah, I'm ready to kill it. They're going to be like, I just hope this workout doesn't kill me. So that's where the RPE is effective, in my opinion, at, okay, you know, I'm not feeling too hot today let's bring it down to something I know I can do instead of trying to kill myself. And that's, that's just something you kind of have to play with and kind of talk about with your clients.
0: So how, how much success have you seen in terms of RPE? So like for me personally, right. What is RPE? It's like rate of perceived exertion. So how heavy does it feel that day? So say back in my peak, maybe I could have squat four oh five for three reps, right? At ninety percent RPE or RPE nine, right? And in my mind that's like ninety percent. Like I'm pushing ninety percent. But some days I, I guarantee I came in and that and three fifteen in my warm up felt like RPE eight. So I don't know if I would have gotten the same amount of like results if I would have gone to just maybe three thirty five for that set of three when I'm like, oh it's RPE. RPE today so I'm going to I'm going to go for that. So like do you think that that is good for all sorts of lifters or do you think RPE is something that should probably be used more for experienced lifters that have a better understanding of what RPE is cuz I understand that like I know I can do 405 for 3 but I don't feel it but I know I'm capable of it so I'm going to probably go 395 or I'm going to go 385 and I'm going to push the envelope a little bit. So where I would disagree with that is when you're looking at programming for new people working off percentages or saying, hey, what did you do last week? Go for five pounds heavier. If you can't, do what you did last week and don't do any less.
1: Yeah, so that's where, for me, you just kind of have to meet meet the client where they're at. So, like, so that's where, okay, if we're going to talk about, like top tier athletes and those that are going to go compete and those that are going to, you know, try to be the best they can and compete in their weight classes. That's where it's like, you know, like you probably should stick closer to percentages just because if you want to see that, that growth, you have to be, you have to move weight. Like you have to be able to hit not, not every day. There's, there's caveats with everything and everything, but it's like, you know, like let's take Victor, for example, let's say he's going and he's wanting to squat, 515 or whatever and he's going in at 395 feels like a lot and tough rpe but it's like in his head he knows i know this feels like a lot but i still have to get under the bar because i want to be able to compete at a high competitive level it's like i'm not gonna let my what i feel like today determine what percentages i'm putting on the bar so that's where it's like i think kind of the opposite where it's like the upper athletes who are going to compete and do things like that like they need to stick closer to percentages just because that's that's kind of like the, the scientific basis for being able to move weight where it's like with lower, um, I don't want to say skill, but like people who are there more to to get better. So, like, well, Cole Voss, my friend Cole Voss, for example. Like, he's not, he's done playing college soccer. He's not competing anymore. He yeah, just your
0: won- friend. Thanks for the invite. Our friend.
1: Okay, our fr- our <laughs> friend Cole Voss. Jeez. <laughs> Someone's sensitive. No, our, my, our friend Cole Voss. Yeah, that's what I thought. I programmed for him, and it's like, okay, like, for example, he ran 22 miles on Monday, I think for his 22nd birthday. Great. Your RPE is going to skyrocket. So now instead of being able to bench 155 for like an eight RPE, you know, maybe 125 is going to be an eight RPE. That's where it's, I agree with you on the fact that sometimes newer people to the gym don't know what an 10 RPE is, and they'll be like, oh, that, that felt like an eight, but it's like, okay, you have 30 more pounds on the bar you can put, but it's kind of helping people to learn what like a 10 is, what an eight is, what a six is. So that's where, to me, I found, I found good results with my
0: clients using the RPE system. So as a coach, if one of your clients, such as Cole did something outlandish, like run 22 miles, would you still have him go into your workout?
1: No, I actually, He told me he ran 22 miles and he wasn't feeling up for it. And I was like, okay, great. Like, that's good you did that. It's, I'm not going to keep you from doing that. Let me write you something that's a little less strenuous for this next week. Like, I think he ran on Monday. I was like, you don't really need to do any heavy lifting this next week because his body has never experienced a 22 mile run. So his body's kind of in shock and it's recovering and it's like, okay, we'll program something way lighter, you know, less stress. He said his knees has been hurting him. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to have him program front squat or back squat. So that's where, again, it's like you you have to meet your client where they're at. You can't expect them to follow you if you're not going to meet them where they're at and you're not going to help them along the road. Mm-hmm. So that's to me, it, that's where it, you have to think about them as a person and not necessarily a quote-unquote like a client because they have their own life. Like to, right now, the most important thing in Cole's life I can promise you is not getting bigger or getting stronger. It's other things that isn't this. And that's where I have to understand as a client it's like, not a client, as a coach, okay, I'm going to program for your life. I'm not going to program for these certain results. But, like, if a top-tier athlete comes in and their life is their results, okay,
0: we're going to have to program for your results, not your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I feel like it's it's that I like that you say meet where you're at. I, I, I heard that in the RX Radio podcast, and I've kind of taken it with me through everything in terms of, like, how I will, like, treat any sort of client or How, if anyone asks me a question, like that's kind of one of the biggest things, especially like for me in like chiropractic, like you have to meet individuals where they're at. I mean, if they're, if you don't have, if they don't have an understanding, like this person actually understands and cares and listens to me, then they're not going to want to do, or they're not going to trust you. But like you said, with a a top tier athlete, you do kind of have to just be like, Hey, I mean, like maybe you went out last night and you partied, right? That's your fault. You still have to come in here and hit your numbers. Because that's where, like, if someone's
1: life is the results they're putting on the bar, you have to do things outside of the gym that are going to transfer to the results you put on the bar. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's where you have to you have to program specifically for people's goals.
0: And it's and it's kind of crazy. Like, there is definitely an aspect of less is more sometimes. Now, obviously, some people just have genetics that allowed them to be better than others, but Victor is the king of pissing people off. The dude works out three to four days a week, maybe. He squats, five plus, deadlifts almost six, benches, but, I mean, his bench isn't that bad. He's working on it. Yeah, but for somebody like Victor, I mean, and if you see him aesthetically, he's in a pretty good spot. I mean, he's 200 pounds, flat right and so he's 200 pounds and then you would think man maybe this dude grinds and eats and whatnot but like obviously he has such a love for weightlifting but weightlifting also isn't his life right he's got a job he's a he's a patient care tech at a hospital um he's got a girlfriend that he drives and sees every weekend like he has this life that he also is doing you know what i'm saying so like obviously not everybody can do it but some people can do it and Victor's one of them, and it makes me mad. because I feel like the amount of work that I put in comparatively to like, in terms of time, obviously, you can't really gauge somebody's work by how many times they're in there, in, in the gym, but time spent in the gym usually seems to be like kind of a correlation to how, how you do. Victor trumps me in all facets of that. He
1: works very smart with very. his programming, and that's what helps him a lot.
0: He's also a mental freak.
1: He's yeah. amazing at his mental game. Yeah, if you see him, like, before he... I had a, I spotted him one time when I was working out in the gym, and, like, when it was go time, it was go time. I stayed away. Like, I, I did exactly what I had to do. It was, like, I'm not touching Victor. I'm not talking to Victor. I'm not going to look Victor in the eyes. Like, I'm going to let him do him, and I'm just going to help spot him if anything happens. Mm. It's like, he's a, he's a beast. They do what you have to do. Don't interrupt him
0: at whatsoever. Yeah, he's an absolute menace, but... And then it comes to the point, like this is kind of, it's kind of shooting off into a different direction, but it's more for people that are doing programming, right? That are getting programmed for. There is a huge aspect of getting programmed for and trusting the programming 100% that people just do not understand, right? And that's why it's hard programming for yourself. So I guess this this could be kind of a twofold topic, like me programming for myself versus a coach programming for me, I'm going to do completely different because one, I'm going to second guess everything I'm doing for myself. And I, maybe I would second guess what a coach does for me, but I'm paying the coach to do the the programming for me. So usually I'm going to believe what he says. And typically having a coach pays more dividends in terms of training than my own pro- programming could. And that's, a men- that could be a mental thing. Right. But I would say like, I, I probably have said it before on this podcast, but you have to trust your coach. You have to trust the process. Like,
1: if you are gonna pay someone to coach you, and you don't trust them, stop paying them. Like, exactly. If you are gonna pay someone, you have to trust them. So, if they give you something to do, trust
0: to do it because you are the one paying for it. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like it's one of those things that's definitely like overlooked. Like, obviously, you are paying the co- there's a lot of people that pay a trainer to pay a trainer, like to say they have a trainer to say they have a coach because they're lazy in the fact that they don't want to program for themselves or they just feel like they have to have skin in the game which I 100% have to have skin in the game in order to completely like buy into it right like when I paid my coach Taylor for a while which to this day only coach I ever had but I don't see a lot of coaches that are better than him I mean especially for what he did I mean every lift I had I would send it to him and give me feedback on it and for the price it was just absolutely insane now it's not the same price anymore he kind of went up in price but still super awesome coach he, I can't say enough good about him, and I can't say enough about listening to your coach in all facets.
1: Yeah. Um. So kind of more diving into the, um,
0: programming aspect of it. Kind of some we can kind of go
1: through like our thought processes towards programming for ourselves, but more like programming, like as you said, you would give out for your programming to your friends or whoever would want it. So kind of go through the process that you would do is like, oh, okay, like this is kind of how I set up my workouts depending upon what their goals were.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it's really just like, it's almost like a multiple choice question or like a word bank, like pick the right answers. And I kind of heard this through a podcast, but you will look at, right. So you'll see, say you have a client. So what are your goals? And like, well, I would like to get big. Um, I would like to lose fat. 75% of everyone's goals. I want to get bigger. I want to lose fat. Yeah that that's it they're like and I want and I want to get fast it's like okay well here's the thing buddy three those three things do not coincide and you cannot do all three of them at the same time now maybe you could choose two but you can't choose three you can't build a ton of muscle and lose a lot of fat I mean you're only really going to build muscle in a caloric surplus unless You're getting those newer gains, and you've never worked out before, and maybe you will see some fat loss and some muscle gain at the same time. And That's more neurological than it is. It's the fact that your body's never even touched a weight before in its life. So there is that aspect of it, but you have to kind of break it down and be like, so you're an experienced lifter, maybe not even experienced, but you've lifted before. You kind of got tired of this monotonous, like go in five by five, four sets of 10, four sets of 12, leave the gym, not seeing any results. So you're paying in a coach, say you're paying me, say you're paying Colton, you come with these goals and we're going to say, well, I would personally say, all right, let's break it down. So say you, what, like, if you were going to rank these three, what would you rank them at? And then they would give us, so like, I'd be like, oh, I want to lose fat. It's like, okay. So first of all, you need to be eating in a caloric deficit. That's the best way to lose weight. It's the only way you're going to do it. My training isn't necessarily going to help you do that. I mean, it, obviously working out will help you burn calories, right? But Can if I say something real quick. Yeah.
1: Um so everyone thinks, not everyone, but so a lot of people want to go into the gym and they want to lose weight and they're like, "Oh, I'm going to I'm going to do cardio for 45 minutes today cuz I'm going to burn 400 calories cuz that's what it says on the elliptical." A Don't trust what the elliptical says that you burn cuz those machines are pretty much um not accurate. And another thing too is like, "Okay, you spent 45 minutes out of your day to quote unquote burn 400 calories." but you go home and you eat four slices of Papa John's pizza. Yep, It's like, okay, that is is eight minimum 800 to 1,000 calories right there where it's like you could have saved yourself 45 minutes by going home and eating rice and chicken or something other than greasy Papa John's pizza. I'm not saying don't ever eat Papa John's pizza because I love Papa John's pizza, but it's like the way to lose weight is food, not cardio.
0: Yeah, and I feel like that's the thing. I mean, a lot of people do not understand the aspect of it. And they get into, you get into the concept of, like, fasted cardio. Fasted cardio is the stupidest thing in the entire world. It doesn't cut into your fat stores. Like, the thing is, like, say you wake up, don't eat, burn 100 calories, and then you go eat that 100 calories, it doesn't, doesn't matter if that cardio was fasted or not, right? It just kind of makes you feel a little bit better in your head. My
1: favorite one is when people say, oh, I can't eat after 8 o'clock. Why? It's just like expanding this idea of
0: like intermittent
1: fasting. Like calories don't automatically double after eight o'clock. Yeah. Now, I mean, you can get into the whole science of, oh, I might not sleep better because my, my body's digesting food. That's something completely different. But it's like everyone's like, oh, it's bad to eat late at night. It's like, no, it's
0: not. Like, And I mean, it's not necessarily bad to eat late at night, but definitely food selection late at night probably does play a factor the, into it all.
1: Not the best, yeah.
0: That Ben and Jerry's is looking
1: pretty good at 10.30 at night. Oh, 100% it
0: does. I mean, last night I came home at almost midnight, and the only thing I wanted to do was eat. So I ate a bowl of cereal. No Oreos? No, I didn't have any. Ah, dang it. So it was really disappointing. But, I mean, back onto the, the programming track, we kind of got off there for a second. But you're going to look at the goals, and you're going to program for that specific goal. And when you do that, I feel like not only does it make it easier on the coach, but it makes it easier on the individual because now they're not thinking, oh my gosh, I need to be building strength and losing weight and I'm supposed to be getting faster at the same time, but maybe I'm only seeing one of them and not the other. And it's like, well, yeah, you probably will only see one of them and not the other two at this point in time. Because if you're having a good coach, they're going to program a whole training cycle, you have blocks within that cycle where it's going to focus on specific aspects of the training that you want, Right. And now you see this a lot like and it's and it's very interesting how not a lot of people have this sort of mentality when they're training. I mean, I know for a fact that a lot of the athletes here before Wadley did not have that idea of, oh, we should break this into a cycle. and have like what I want in this cycle. Like for me right now, I'm doing weightlifting programming. like my goal is to be. Get out of this amateur class of weightlifting, right? And obviously, weightlifting is based on strength in the legs, pull strength, and technique. Technique is obviously your biggest thing, but you have to have strong legs. So this this segment that I'm in, this block, this cycle, my weightlifting is incredibly light. I'm squatting heavy, and I'm pulling heavy. And I'm trying to build this requisite strength, get my technique up, so when it comes to heavier weight my strength isn't the thing that's giving out and it's my technique because I need to work on it more. So if you're not having a coach that's programming specific for your goal, or they're not even asking you specifics in your goal goals, that's a problem within itself. I mean, that's a bad coach you need to run, especially if their price is super high. Now, obviously if it's a personal trainer and like they're in there with you, it's different, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: Um, so kind of, I would say my, my thought process towards when I program is it's I don't it's not the same for everybody but overarching a lot of it is the same where it's you know I want to do your power work first because that's when you're the freshest that's when you are most capable of producing the most power um so that's when I do like cleans or jumps or plyometrics or just various power movements and then I move into like the more Mm -hmm. complex strength work so like your deadlift your squat your bench um Bulgarian split squat things things like that and then I I kind of program most complex to least complex when I go through, and I mean there's obviously there's times where it doesn't always work like that. That's fine, but that's kind of like the the program I try to follow. And I mean I want to like let's say I'm doing an endurance work for and it's purely running. I'm not going to program heavy back squat. I'm going to do more you know running focused like purely running focused depending upon what the client's goals were. Um, now I've never. Program for an endurance runner yet purely endurance running so that's something to wear anyway I don't know where I'm going with that but you just kind of have to it's just so important to meet again meet the client or the athlete where they're at if they can't squat why are you going to have them squat 100% of their max no you're going to take them through a goblet squat and fix that you can do accessory work that's going to strengthen their legs but don't load their dysfunctional squat to make their dysfunctional squat even more dysfunctional. You know, it's the great cook. If you load dysfunction, dysfunctional, it's worse. So you have to, it's not about, you know, sometimes I cringe when I see like videos of high school weight rooms. It's like, oh man, look at this dude. He just, he just squat cleaned 300 pounds. It's like, okay. He also blew out his back when he did it. Like the dude's injured now. Mm -hmm. He can't work. And so I'm kind of rambling on to, to make a, a point, but, for me, programming-wise, it's, you know, power, because that's when you're able to produce the most power, then you, complex, at the least complex, and then, you know, at the end. I personally prefer sometimes I'll sprinkle in core work with my complex movements just because they're going to break anyways, and if they're going to do heavy back squats, I'm not going to have them rest 30 seconds. They're going to rest a minute and a half, two minutes, three minutes, and so kind of if I can save some time for both me and them, you know, I'm going to have them do hollow holds. You know, I can have them do pal-off presses, things like that within their, their break. And I'm not necessarily taxing the muscles, the main muscles of a squat or a bench or a deadlift. So that's kind of like a, a tool I use to save both time uh, for me and the client.
0: And I think that when it comes to programming, and now I've had kind of this outlook on core work a little bit more recently, but when you have an athlete or uh, just a random person I think that as a coach, it's very beneficial to, in order to buy in, to get the person to buy in and have them gain their trust, is to help them understand why they're doing what they're doing, right? Now, I feel like a lot of people do not know why they're doing especially bodybuilders. I feel like a lot of bodybuilders don't know exactly why they're doing what they're doing. They just think they should because they've seen it somewhere. And now it gets into a whole different realm of like what the muscles do. And nobody, and and everyone, not everybody knows Anatomy, w- well, they don't know how muscles function and whatnot. They just know that in order to do this, I have to do this, and that's cool. But, like, if some if you ask somebody how to what they're working when they squat, and they're like, um, I'm working my my quads the most, it's like, I mean, yeah, you are working your quads a little bit, but there's a lot going on there in like, a squat.
1: Did you know you can change the position of your toes to work on different muscles in your quads type of thing, like that? Yeah, and
0: it's like a lot of people just don't understand helping them understand is actually super, I feel like it's super huge. But m- more than that, and I feel like a lot of peop- personal trainers do not do this, is programming a warm-up. Now, I feel like, now, I mean, I'm an injury-prone person. I feel like I get injured all the time just because I'm not, like, cognizant of how my body's working when it's when it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. So, like, I, I just recently, it's an assumed herniated disc. I think we, we get, we're good now, but we still have a little bit of pain um, down the back of the leg. And it's one of those things that now I'm so focused on my warm up. And a lot of people are like, Oh, you need to warm up to unlock muscles and get them ready and hot and sweaty and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, not necessarily do you need to do that when maybe if it makes you feel good, go for it. But it's more building this like cognizance of your body and having a better, like, like having proprioception of like, what is going on? Like, for me, if I'm going to do like an overhead warm-up, I'm going to do a kettlebell bottom under press to simulate like serratus activity, shoulder stability. And then I'm going to do a lat pull-down to get my shoulders into that like fully extended position, work with the lats, get them get em ready to go. And then I'm going to do a variation of the movement that I'm going to start out with. And I think that's a pretty good warm-up just because it gets you ready to do the movement. And it's more of a movement preparation than necessarily a warm-up. Because if you played sports, your warm up was nothing. I mean, I mean anybody that plays sports, did you did you ever go one hundred percent in your warm up? Like, were you one hundred percent there for that? I'll have to say
1: almost every other sport, no. But when I was here at Grace with soccer, we we warmed up very well. Shout out to Austin Altimus for doing our warm ups. But yes, no, I I, I that's right.
0: He's from a high school. Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like in in uh, high school soccer, all right, guys, one lap around the field, stretch for. Five minutes. All right, we're good to go. It's like, mm, are you are you really good to go?
0: Yeah, and I feel like that's when injuries come. Yeah. Just because people aren't warmed up properly.
1: Yeah. Um, and that's something I want to talk about, too, is, like, for people who either program for themselves or program for other people, like, the way Zach was talking about how he does these different movements or, like, the kettlebell uh, bottom under presses and he gets the way he gets his shoulders in the full extension – Like he's programming that for a specific movement, whereas like you don't always have to do that. Like we're just say for gin pop, like you don't have to go through a very I don't want to say in depth or complex because it's not necessarily in depth, but you don't have to program like specific shoulders for this movement because you know most gin pop clients you're either training full body or a hat like upper half or lower half of your body. So it's like the Warm up is a great way to prime someone's body, but it doesn't have to necessarily be as concentrated as Zach does. But you also have to look at his program. What he's doing that day is pretty concentrated movements because you're focusing on a certain part, you're not necessarily doing total body. Mm -hmm. So, if you're doing total body, have you when was the last time you've done a like a whole body workout with Brady? Okay, yeah, so. 12 forever podcast ago, podcasts ago. Yeah. no but that's what it, it's like it's not that jack's way of doing it is bad because it's not you just have to program warm-ups for your specific client or for your specific warm-up and you just there's just it's tough because for me like it's not as complex as people want you to make it seem you just have to think about it like okay we're gonna do squats today well, you should probably make sure your hips are mobile. You should probably make sure your quads are warmed up and your hamstrings and you have good dorsiflexion in your ankles. But it's like, oh, and I'm not going to go take you through an aerosol uh, warm-up for 20 minutes. Like, no, you program for what you need to program for and don't waste time on things that you don't.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I feel like a, a warm-up should be, the main goal should be movement preparation and injury prevention. And it's one of those things,
1: too, to where it's like, you should be, like, your warm-up should, it's kind of like like a, like a pyramid or whatever. So you start lower and then by the time you finish your warm up, you're good to go. Like most people shouldn't be able to tell when their warm up ends and their workout starts. Like it should just be a nice mixture of the two.
0: And that's where I feel like integration of your main movement should come in with your warm up, right? So like say you're going to bench press and your warm up bench press sets should be in conjunction with those warm up movements that you're doing. And I feel like that is kind of like It just takes you into it and ushers you in so well. And I feel like that's so huge. And I feel like a lot of people, this is going to be kind of a, in my mind, unless you have something else to say, kind of like a closer idea. Everyone wants to train their abs, right? And it was something that's kind of my eyes have been opened recently. Maybe I'm stupid for never noticing it or not stupid for not thinking about it. But training abs is stupid, Right. So crunches are dumb.
1: Like training for abs or training for abs?
0: Training for abs is stupid. I think crunches have no point. Sit-ups have no point, especially if you're doing them incorrect. Um, More lately, training core in the function that it's supposed to be doing, right? So an anti-extension or stopping excessive flexion or anti-rotation or increased rotation being able to train the core for those specific movements instead of making a quote-unquote strong core making it a strong stabilizer for the body right so if you can have that I feel like that is where people lack an understanding of their core and ab training
1: yeah and that's you know that's where it's tough too because I agree with you to a point that Again, you have to meet your client where it's at, where they're at. If you want a client who's purely physique based, I'll do crunches because it's a good way to kind of get abs. But it's like if someone wants a strong core and they don't necessarily care about a six pack, like one of my favorite core movements is suitcase carries, like heavy suitcase carries because you're like if you do them, your one side of your body is going to be burning and I love it and it's a great stabilizing exercise, but they're not the best at getting a six pack. They're great at stabilizing, but not great at a six pack. So that's where it's like, okay, m- like, what's my client goal? My client's goal is they're a seventy-five year old client. They want to be able to sit on the toilet without any pain. They want to be able to walk and not have to worry about falling or anything like that. I would lean more towards light, uh, as heavy as they can go, but suitcase carries because that's going to help them stabilize their midsection. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to have them do a crunch. And I think what uh, uh, who is it? Uh, the bald dude, uh, Chris, he always talks about Mike Boyle. Mike Boyle, um, he's like you know crunches. Like he is more with you. He's like, when do you ever do a crunch? You do one crunch a day, and that's it. In real life, movement that's when you get out of bed. Mm-hmm. It's like you know he's not wrong. So he his his thing is um the ab rollout. He loves the ab rollout because it's great anti extension. Yeah, which I do, do now
0: love the ab rollout. Yes, and that's it's tough. It is. tough if you do it right yes um if you focus on like the lack of extension and keeping yourself in a flex position mm-hmm. it gets real hard like even on the knees like doing it on my knees yeah it,
1: yeah um but again it's like i mean i've said it 20 times you guys are probably tired of hearing it but meet the client where they're at program based on their goals and something i've learned too is um like even i don't wanna say competition wise but let's say I have a different aspect of what health and fitness is than you do, Zach. That doesn't mean I'm automatically right. And you're automatically wrong. It's like we can both be right with how we think clients should be fit and healthy. Cause you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, CrossFit's stupid. It leads to injuries and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, yeah. So does powerlifting. So does Olympic lifting. If you do it wrong, mm-hmm. that's where it's like, just because I come from a more CrossFit background and you come from more powerlifting, let's say doesn't mean I'm right and you're wrong. It just means we have different viewpoints. And now, okay, you have to look like, oh, like, let's say a lot of clients are injured with person A compared to person B. Okay, person B is probably doing something better than or person A. Um, That's where, you know, there's thousands of different exercises. Doesn't mean only 50 of them are right. All 1,000 could be right. You just have to
0: program them effectively and safely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like this has definitely been kind of a little bit of like, Rambling and word vomit, but I feel like it's all pretty good stuff, especially like just to get you thinking. And even if you think we're not correct, I mean, maybe we're not. I mean, there's definitely two ways it's going to cat, and there's multiple ways it's going to cat. So, I mean, obviously, if you disagree with us, like that's cool. You have your own methods. And the thing is, like, are you keeping your client, are you keeping yourself free of injury? Like, is their injury something of you, or is it of themselves? Is your injury of you, or of your, or of somebody else? And you always have to be mindful of that kind of thing because. In the end, if you're hurting your client or if you're hurting yourself, then you're probably doing something wrong, and you need to have an understanding of why you're doing that. And in, in recent training, it's gotten to the point where, obviously, I want to train for strength and power and whatnot, but it, being injury-free is probably my biggest priority at this moment in time. Which that
1: basically should be for every person who programs and trains, and that's um, it's something where it's like the good, the good trainers... They are constantly thinking, okay, is this person injured? How do I keep this client? Blah, blah, blah. Going through, how can I be the most effective? Whereas the ones that aren't top tier, they're like, okay, like that injury is not my fault. Like it's your fault for rolling your ankle. And now it's not my fault you're injured. But in reality, it's like, well, were you doing ankle stability exercises? Were you doing ankle strengthening exercises? Um, type of thing. But
0: I feel like it goes into the idea of we talked about on the last podcast, me and Graham did. Um, high achievers tend to want to have things done quick. They put a time frame on it. And I feel like a lot of lifters typically have that kind of time frame on their workouts. Like, oh, I need to be this aesthetic this soon or this big this soon or I need to be this powerful this time or this strong at this time. And if you're competing, obviously there is more stipulations and, and your circumstances are a little bit different. But for the most part, your general population, your person that is just working out, like there shouldn't be no time frame for any of this stuff like I would rather be pain-free and take it slow than take it fast and be in pain all the time like I am right now and that has definitely been a realization that I've come to recently so with my own training with my own programming it's definitely like 15 minutes of movement preparation and then 15 minutes of mobilization afterwards after the workout and being super mindful of bracing and tucking the pelvis under and activating the lats and Having my scaps retracted like throughout the entirety of the movement, which is super hard to be cognizant of the whole time, but it definitely pays dividends in pain management if you can have an understanding of what that is. The the, the candle that
1: burns the fastest is the candle that burns out the quickest. Exactly. Um, I kind of I feel bad because you kind of said we we did have a little word vomit going on, so if I could just end with kind of like a quick saying over programming, it's like um you kind of okay program me what the way i program like power complex to let to least complex and then meet the person where they're at you don't have to constantly change a workout program it's the monotonous workouts like they're the reason we've had the big three around for a while because they're proven and they're effective and it's don't try to go and create the world's best program and the world's most unique program you can go you can create an effective program with very basic movements. Every single person on this earth should be able to do the same basic movements. They should be able to push, pull, hinge, squat. I'm probably missing one of them. But like those movements, you there's multiple different exercises you can do with those movements. So it's like find, you know, if you want to train, train for those. Find the couple movements that do that and you can repeat them throughout your training cycle. And don't be stupid and hit legs three days a week. Three days a week, back-to-back-to-back heavy, you know, periodize, cycle through, be like, oh, okay, like, I'm going to hit upper body on Monday. I should probably hit lower body on Tuesday. Maybe Wednesday's a rest day. Thursday, I can hit upper body again. Friday, I can hit lower body, rest, and then maybe take the weekend off or have a full body day over the weekend, something like that. Um, So that's kind of a quick synopsis of, you know, programming 101, but I kind of felt bad for all the word vomit we had, not as much about programming. So that's yeah. kind of a quick synopsis. And, you know, we can have another podcast over programming and hopefully with
0: somebody else. Yeah. As someone and I mean, if you get anything out of this program, just understand that like pain is something you shouldn't have. Um, training, it can be boring. But as Trevor Kim said, The monotonous training over 10 years builds champions. And ultimately, if you're training, you want to be a champion of something over your own life or in some sort of competition. So definitely take that um, and utilize that in your own training. But um, thank you for listening. Um, If you like the podcast, uh, like it, subscribe, um, follow us on Instagram at p3.podcast, I believe. We actually now have a Twitter. So pre-pro underscore podcast is the handle on Twitter. So... We should be putting stuff out on there soon, Um, but other than that, um, that is it.